This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Western New York race fans, it's time to crank it up. Start your engine! For the next hour, the airwaves belong to you. Sit down, strap in, and let's head to WGR's Fast Track. All right, take a nice big deep breath, buddy. With your host, let's go out there and have a good day, all right, bud? Dave Buchanan. And once again, good morning, race fans. 11 o'clock here on WGR Sports Radio 550. Dave Buchanan live from Watkins Glen International is their third annual live show here from Watkins Glen. Site of today's Go Bowling at the Glen, which, by the way, you can hear right here on WGR Sports Radio 550, courtesy of our friends of the, at the Motor Racing Network. Their live coverage starts at 2 o'clock this afternoon, green flag just after 3 o'clock. And speaking of the Motor Racing Network, as is tradition whenever we do the live show at the Glen, we... Luckily, one of the great folks at MRN stops by to share some time with us. And this year, we're lucky to have the godfather, Dave Moody, join us from MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Dave, I we had you on the show maybe our first couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, and it's great to do it here in person with you. Well, we got enough guys with big mouths in our trailer. That they can <laughs> kind of rotate different people through, right? Yeah. So you don't get stuck with the same one every week. But, uh, yeah, good morning. It's, uh, boy, what a great day for a race. It was Pretty hot here the last two years. Like I said, third year I've done the show live. But today it's great. Right around 80 degrees, humidity's not too bad. It is a perfect day to sit outside and watch some race cars. And this place is packed. Yeah. I mean, I, the, I've been coming here for... Well, I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to... This, is, this is the 34th annual race, I'll yeah, say that. Yeah, and I've been here... Okay, so fine. I've been here for about all of them. But I, I don't remember seeing the campgrounds, both inside the track and outside the track. I don't remember seeing them anywhere near this full for a long, long time, if yeah. ever. they got a great crowd coming in today. That's what's uh, that's what's been the big thing here at the Glen. Not only has the racing gotten so great here the last couple of years, but in NASCAR in general, and racing in general too, I see it at the short tracks, the camping thing about this sport, it seems like it's taken off maybe over the last decade where more fans just want to come hang out and, and camp with their friends, and then they can come see some racing at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I, I see the same thing, and, and I think you know there are a couple of reasons for that, in my opinion, I think you've touched on one of them that, you know, you never you never met anybody new staying in a hotel. You know, <laughs> you're you're in your little cubicle sure. and the door's locked and you're not interacting with anybody. Yeah. You come to the racetrack whether whether you're in the motorhome or the RV or God love you the pop up camper or even the tent. <laughs> you're probably going to meet people. There's yeah. going to be somebody on the left and somebody on the right and somebody over here and somebody over there. Yep. And you're going to make friends and you're going to you know share some camaraderie and you're going to have a great time. That never happened to me sitting at home in a man cave on the couch. You know, yeah, it's, it's the best part. Seen it here at the Glen. I've experienced it at Phoenix. And then just uh, the U.S. Open at Lancaster, Super Dirt Week, just the Race of Champions weekend. Wherever you go, the camping is, is just a part of big event as the on-track action. And I think the other reason for that is, is quite honestly, the hotel industry, uh, sure. sl- little by little, are just cutting their own throats. You know, yeah. with the, uh, with the, you know, when we go to Daytona for Speed Weeks or places like that where they'll have three or four day minimums and the and the price of the room will triple. There's not a thing in the world that that our friends here at Watkins Glen can do about that kind of thing. They're, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. But fans do have the option of taking their business elsewhere, and I think a lot of them have done that. 
and especially a small market like Whatcom Gun, where there's not a major city within right. more than an hour here to make it. Uh, let's focus, though, on the on-track action today. we got Chase Elliott, the defending race winner on the pole. And, uh, Dave, if we learned anything from the Xfinity race yesterday, it's not to is to expect the unexpected, I guess, because anything can happen. Just see what happened to Kyle Busch yesterday. Yeah, uh, you couldn't have found 15 people in the entire garage yesterday that would have put their money on anybody but Kyle Busch. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 the oldest saying in racing is to finish first, first you finish. And, and he wasn't able to get that done. Uh, pounded a curb pretty well going out there through the bus stop and, and broke, I guess, the upper A frame, the uh, upper A arm on the car. And and you don't fix that. So yeah. that's, the, that's the end of his day. And it left us for a fantastic finish down the stretch. Um, Austin Sendrick was just spectacular. I I didn't like his chances having to pass nine cars in the final seven laps. Um, but boy, was I wrong. He did it with a half a lap to spare. Yeah, the fresh tires, you made that late stop for tires too. And you don't, I don't think we, especially after the repave, don't talk about tires a lot here at the Glen, but that right. certainly paid off for Sendrick. Tire wear has not been a major factor here since the repave, but uh, as we've seen at other tracks over the years, with every passing season, it comes back. The, the tire wear yep. escalates a little more and a little more, and I I think we're getting back into that that sweet spot now where where new tires are an advantage mm -hmm. and pit strategy comes into play. A couple or three years ago here, the only reason you put on tires was because you were going to be there putting fuel in the thing anyway, so <laughs> yep. you might as well you know, strap on a couple of tires. But now, uh, and, and I certainly think in the next year or two going forward, tire wear and tire management are going to come back into the game, and we're going to see – and and that produces comers and goers, where guys on older tires have to fight to stay up front, and guys on newer tires are fighting their way forward. What do you think the strategy is going to be today? Are we going to see guys maybe pit very early today for fuel and, and kind of work the strategy? Obviously, they, they work the strategy backwards, kind of these crew chiefs do, but uh, how do you think the, the pit strategy might go today? I, I think uh, there are obviously going to be guys that do that. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeff Bodine started that about 20 years ago. Uh, he and Earnhardt were racing for the championship one year. And, uh, and Bodine came pat, came down pat, pit road on, like, lap seven. Mm. And all the Earnhardt crew guys were high-fiving each other, saying, you know, <laughs> Bodine's in trouble. We're going to make up a ton of points. Yeah. And, and you know, Jeff takes his tires and fuel and goes back out. And when everybody else cycles in, all of a sudden Bodine's leading. And they're like, well, I guess he dodged a bullet. Yeah. Then he does it again. And they're like, okay, he's really screwed up now. <laughs> and at the end of the race, he ends up winning the thing. And with about 20 to go, all of those Earnhardt crew members and every other team on pit road did the facepalm thing and said, man, we have been had. Those guys <laughs> outthunk us today, and they won the race, and it's been that way ever since. But, you know, today, the, the neat part about it is you're going to see a lot of that for sure. But there are so many different scenarios in play right now. We saw it last weekend at, at Pocono where we had Denny Hamlin and Eric Jones both running up front with 20 or 25 laps to go. And everybody knew they probably weren't going to, or it was going to be really close on fuel. Mm. Denny Hamlin with two wins in the bag, matted the gas, went to the front and took control of the race because he could. He could afford, if he needed to, to run out of gas and finish 23rd. Mm. Eric Jones was in a completely different scenario. He hasn't won this year. He needs the points, and he could not afford to run out of gas. Yep. So while Denny Hamlin's going to the whip and taking it to the front, Eric Jones is having to having to fall back and manage fuel. And I think we're going to see a lot of that today. We've got we've got teams 
all over the lot in terms of what they need right now. Some of them need to win to make the playoffs. There's no other way. Mm. A few of them can still point their way into play into the playoffs. There's a bunch of guys out there that have wins in the bag already, and the only thing they care about is getting another one. That's going to produce a lot of different strategies today, I think. What kind of winner do you think we'll get from today? I'm leaning towards Martin Truex, but uh, Watkins Glen, of course, can produce that outside winner, you know, going back to the Marcus Ambrose and A.J. Allmendingers, and there's a lot of guys that you said either they're at the bottom of the top 16 or just outside. What are the chances that one of the, we have kind of a, maybe an upset today? Maybe it's uh, Matt Benedetto or right. Michael McDowell. Just what do you think of chances for an upset today here at the Glen? I, I think it's always a chance. More often than not, and you're right, we get – we get an outlier every once in a while with mm. a Marcus Ambrose or an A.J. Allmendinger, and that's part of the fun. Mm. And we could do that today with uh, with Matt DiBenedetto. We could do that with, uh, you know, uh, with McDriver. We call him McDriver. <laughs> yeah. in I, you know, I think Daniel Suarez is in that, in that list, too. Yeah. He's a young kid that's a really good road racer. Mm. Hasn't shown a ton of speed so far, but they'll manufacture some way to get him to the front and see what he can do. Um but more often than not, most years you come here to the Glen, and it's the names that you expect to see. It's the yeah. Kyle Bushes, it's the Denny Hamlins, it's the, Mar- uh, the Martin Truex Juniors, and I, I would be surprised if those guys aren't seriously in play today. Uh, Dave Mooney from the Motor Racing Network and uh, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio joining us here on WGR's Fast Track. I talked to Joey Logano right before the Kentucky race, did a phone interview with him, and he refers to the curbs around here as jumps because you just hit those things and that car takes off. And uh, that's really kind of the wild card, obviously, with any road course is the curbing. But uh, as we saw, as you mentioned, with the Kyle Busch's finish series race, those things can uh, jump up and bite you if you don't hit them the right way. There are photos. Photographers love the Glen because they just <laughs> go out. They go out into the bus stop and they take photo after photo after photo of race cars with all four wheels in the air. Yeah. You're not touching the ground at all. It's not the not the best idea in the handling department, right? If, if yep. your tires aren't touching the ground, you're probably not handling all that well. And and as you. Said, Said, there is a price to be paid for hammering those curbs all day long. Yeah. Uh, you know, the suspension parts will only take so much abuse before they finally say, no, nah, I don't think so. We're done with this for today. Kyle Busch uh, had to deal with that yesterday, and I guarantee he, he's coming out here today with just the worst attitude in the world. I mean, he just <laughs> he feels like this place owes him one. He feels like he got robbed. We all know how Kyle is. Yep. You know, he he's the angriest man in the world some days <laughs> when he wins. Yeah. You know, didn't win by enough. Didn't yeah. dominate the way we should have. Certainly when he finishes second, he's not a happy camper and when when you're seven tenths quicker than the field and don't finish yeah. and, and finish at the bottom of you know the bottom of the pecking order he's going to come out today with a ton of attitude and he, he's going to be hard to guard look out at angry Kyle Bush on the prowl today here at Watkins Glen uh you're going to be in the S's today correct yeah and uh you're gonna have a friend up there with you the bag man's going to be up there working for NBC and uh well, we got a little behind-the-scenes look at you guys yeah, last week at yeah. NBC and, and you guys scrambling for those call buttons when action happened in front of you. That was a, a fun little thing part of the broadcast last week at Pocono. And I'm glad people got to see that because it, it you know, hearing it is one thing, seeing it is another. And I got so much feedback on social media from people saying, oh, my God, you guys, I mean, there was shrapnel flying in the air and there was <laughs> smoke blowing in your face. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was that was crazy up there. It's like... No, no, it, that was nothing different it's a than nor- normal day at the office. We do that you. every week. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's how it is every week out there. But, but I, I was happy that people got to see it. You know, it kind of connected them a little bit more with what we do. Mm. Um, you know, that turn position that I'm in today, up on the up on the tower at the top of the S's, it's just it's one of the great vantage points uh, on the circuit. It, it you know, you, I, I can pick them up going into turn one and just call them all the way up the hill to the exit of turn number four. It, it you know. 
when you're not calling race cars, you can look down over the valley and see the vineyards and yep. the lake and the sailboats out on the. It's just a gorgeous place to work. That shot up the S is it's one of the mo- uh, most iconic uh, settings for a picture in, in this sport. I, I just I can picture it in my head in the middle of my sleep, just seeing cars winding up those S's like that, and it's just the hallmark of this facility. It really is, and and it's a place where you know the racers know that you can't make a mistake there because mm. there's there's no extra room. No. There, there's there's baby blue guardrail immediately to the left and more baby blue guardrail immediately to the right. You know, what, what Christopher Bell did in the final couple of laps yesterday after he got turned sideways after that final restart, mm. he was broadside in the face of the field and there were only two cars ahead of him. That should have been a 22-car wad-up in turn <laughs> two. And the fact that he was able to save that thing and get it pointed back straight, yeah. not only that but only lose two spots, man, that was world class because I figured I was going to be doing probably one of the longest trouble calls of my career <laughs> as they continue to pile into that and nothing happened. He, he just headed it off at the pass. It's interesting how this facility has developed over the years when it comes to the, the how much runoff there is. You talk about the S's, which is so narrow, but now they, they've paved so many areas, especially there in the 90, mm-hmm. the runoff they have. The gra- uh, gravel traps have come and gone. Grass has come and gone. Foam blocks and tire barriers have come yeah. and gone. And the, these guys, you give them a little inch of space, and they'll take a mile. They'll take any runoff they can get to, to get an advantage out there. It used to be if you went six inches wide in the 90, it, you know, you needed a record to pull you out because you were, you were earlobe deep in, in gravel yep. out there. Now – you can go 45 yards <laughs> off course if you want to and just keep the hammer down. You may not gain any spots, but you won't lose that many either. The The penalty for making mistakes in some areas of this racetrack has been dramatically reduced. Mm. I think, you know, we also probably have crossed two or three cautions a day just for, you know, tiny little spins where people got buried off the list, too. Some would say that we could use those cautions back. We don't get many caution flags these days, but but it is what it is, as they say. And that's what the the stages, though, that kind of at least the crew chiefs have those to kind of work into their strategy. So, you know, you're definitely going to get at least two cautions out of every event and then. Usually by the end of the race, there's usually when guys start to get crazy, they're inside 10 laps. The chances of a green-white checkered are, are, are pretty good here at the Glen. Yeah, and, you know, the strategy uh, uh, quotient gets multiplied <laughs> when you have a track like Watkins Glen where you can pit under green without losing a lap. Yeah. You know, you're, you're at, at Bristol or Martinsville. You can't get real creative. You can't pit under green because you'll be four laps down by the time you get back up to speed. Watkins Glen, you could pit on lap one if you wanted to, and you're still on the lead lap, yeah. which which really allows these crew chiefs to get creative and, and come up every now and again with, with a really different idea, like Jeff Bodine all those years ago that nobody had ever thought of before. I have a funny crew chief strategy story. I was talking to Jan Leedy yesterday, and Jan is, of course, a great modified driver. Yeah. Now he's the crew chief for Patrick Emmerling on the NASCAR Modified Tour, and they were at Stafford, play, mm-hmm. racetrack you've spent many a night, I'm sure, at yep. throughout the years. They had the race Friday night. And Jan said, well, he was telling me, this race usually averaged about six cautions, so I'd done a strategy based on that. Lap Green went at lap one. They didn't see a yellow to lap 147 in a 150-lap race. And he said, totally messed up my strategy. They had the car set up free, thinking they could put the option tire on. And instead, they went green to almost checkered without a caution yeah. there Friday yeah. at Stafford. Well, Leedy did it the old-fashioned way, and he just looked at the race reports for the last <laughs> five or six years and, and did it you know, with a pencil and paper. The, the modern... Cup Series crew chief today, they've got computer programs for that. They yeah. they have a computer program. All the team, the big teams have it. 
that will tell you the percentage chance of the caution coming out in the next five laps at any point during the race. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it makes your job a lot easier if you can say, okay, uh, we're, we're coming to an area where, where over time or over the last 20 years, 60% of the time we've had a caution in the next 10 laps. Yeah. Let's you get out ahead of the curve a little bit and maybe plan on it. Dave, uh, just real quick, you have about five minutes left for you here to talk to you about the truck series. Of course, they ran Thursday night at Eldora. Stuart Friesen, who's uh, – I grew up with him at Lancaster sure. Speedway when his family owned it. Uh, if the Bills and Sabres never win a championship in my lifetime, I think I got pretty close to that feeling Thursday watching Stuart win that race because it was great to finally see him break through. And you, t I mean, you talk about going from – the outhouse to the penthouse in seven days. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, last week he he just did. He, he had the day that he could not afford to have. Yep. I mean, if you would, if you had sat down and said, "All right, Stewie, wh what's the worst thing you could do today?" He'd say, "Wreck and turn one of the first laps," <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. I yeah. mean, he got, he got a little excited, went three wide, said, "I'm going to take the lead on lap one and never look back," and instead he he took the fence on lap one yeah. and never looked back and, and severely compromised his championship hopes. But then he comes back at Eldora, which I, I think, if, you know, he's come so close so many times. He's yep. so sick of guys like you and I saying, hey, Stu, when are you going to win? <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, got, you got 103 second place finishes. When are you going to win? Yep. So, and I think if, if we had predicted, if we'd had to bet the mortgage where Stuart Friesen would win his first, it probably would have been Eldora. He's been awfully close the last couple of years, and it just hasn't Mile and a half tracks, they've been great. Oh, yeah. But just great, but not great enough. Right. So, so now he's on the board. He's 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 rung the bell, as they say. And guys like you and I can leave him alone and just let him get back to racing for a championship. I'm so glad Tuesday when I see him at Ranceville when he comes with the modifieds. Don't I even can, mention it. I can just say, hey man, congratulations on a win. Say, oh, you've been so close. I I can't wait to have that conversation with him on you Tuesday. You really want to hack him off? Say, how long till you can win again? <laughs> you know that, that give him no break at all. He hey, he's won since then. He won last night at Fonda, yeah. so he's already got another yeah. win since uh, since. Uh, his win there in the truck series, uh, but Briscoe had a fast truck. I didn't uh, really. I, it was his race to lose, and just but Stewie, they him and Trip Bruce, they took the gamble, stayed yeah. out, and and did it with uh, out of pit stop there. It that's the wonderful part about this sport, isn't it? That that the guy that's supposed to win doesn't always win, and it's the only sport really that's like that. If if you go to an NFL football game and it's forty two to fourteen with five minutes to go. You know, head for the exits, beat the traffic, but you know who's going to win. You go to a Major League Baseball game or any baseball game, if it's if it's 9-1 in the in the top of the eighth, beat the traffic and head for home. Yeah. Our sport is the only sport where you can be you can be eight seconds ahead of second place with eight seconds remaining in the race. Cut a tire, knock the wall down, and finish 43rd. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's the only sport like that, and you cannot check out until it's over or you take the chance on missing something. Before we let you go, let me put your feet to the fire. Who's going to be uh, winning the race today here at Watkins oh, Glen? Oh, Lord. Really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's like, that's like picking the prettiest daisy out of the garden. Um, I tend here to go with experience. Um, and I, you know, Martin Truex Jr. is having one of those weekends where he's in the top three in just about every statistical category, qualified well. That's that's never really been a team that's put all of their eggs in the qualifying basket. So mm -hmm. I'll uh, I'll go with the experienced hand who, quite honestly, has been the best road course racer in NASCAR mm -hmm. over a by you know just going by the numbers yep. uh, over the last three years. So I'll go with MTJ. So that that was my pick too. So yeah, we either look like geniuses or, or, or doofuses yeah. at about six hours. We both so. slink out of here with our <laughs> Hats pulled down over our eyes. Yeah, Dave Moody for the Motor Race Network. You've got 
what would be my dream gig? You get to talk about the sport five days a week, and then you get to go announce them on the weekends. A, a gig I'd love to have. It's got to be a ton of fun. It adds up to a seven-day week if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, it is. It's fantastic, and I wouldn't change a thing. Dave, appreciate the time. Uh, plenty of people will be listening today on WGR Sports Radio 550. We're proud to be an MRAD affiliate, as always. Thank you for the time, my friend. I appreciate you doing this in person with us. My pleasure. I, I started out uh, in Vermont at a at AM 550. <laughs> <laughs> uh, little station, uh, Ken Squires radio station yeah. in Vermont called WDEV AM 550. So uh, <laughs> your spot on the dial feels just like home to me. How's Ken doing, by the way? He's doing fantastic. He's uh, you know he's getting a little older, aren't we all? Sure. You know, one day at a time. Um, but he's doing he's doing really really well, and uh, and I owe him my career. Sure. So, yeah. Dave, appreciate you stopping by. Have a great call today. Thank you. All right, Dave Moody for the Motor Racing Network. Uh, coming up, we'll be back with more. Nate Ryan, hopefully from Embassy Sports, is going to join us here in just a minute. We've got more live from Watkins Glen International here on WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I laugh as soon as I heard it. Makes me laugh every time for some reason, the way Brett says WGR. We are on WGR Sports Radio 550. It's 1125 here. Dave Buchanan, WGR's Fast Track, live from Watkins Glen International. As we are here for today's Go Bowling at the Glen for the NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series. Uh, Xfinity Series, yesterday we talked a little bit about it with uh, Stephen Ovens and Dave Moody there from MRN. But Austin Sindrick getting his first career win yesterday for Penske Racing over Christopher Bell, Justin Allgaier. Ryan Blaney and Tyler Reddick, but uh, as we've kind of talked about this morning, it was the Kyle Busch show pretty much uh, for the first uh, 35 laps. He dominated. He led 21 of the first 35 laps, and it looked like Kyle was going to take this one yesterday until uh, he entered the bus stop there and hopped the curb and broke that suspension part, and uh, he just drove off course, and that was the end of Kyle's day, and it really opened things up, and uh, it went from a, a one-man show to uh, about you know, 10, 12 guys having a shot to win that one. Uh, yesterday here at the Glen, and uh, it came down to Sindrick and A.J. Allmendinger, and Sindrick had the fresher tires, while Allmendinger did not, and Sindrick was able, thanks to a little bump in the carousel, get around A.J. to uh, get the win yesterday. But again, Allmendinger uh, bounced in post-race inspection. That's twice now it's happened, and both times it's been to the same team there in the Xfinity Series and Colleg Racing. Uh, I think it was Daytona when AJ finished top five, uh, top three even, and got bounced in post-race inspection, and then again second time. And and this one, uh, the 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 with the I think it was the ride height again or a suspension piece. It was just something that probably broke during the race that kind of created uh, that situation that it fell out of the tolerances. But uh, so kind of disappointing end of the day for AJ Allmendinger uh, with both of his Xfinity starts this year uh, being kind of. Um, well, they were tainted by uh, uh, post-race inspection issues, but that can happen in this sport, um, and uh, I'm still glad that that process was implemented this year, um, that they do inspect the cars right away, and we don't have to learn about it three days later, uh, that we get it out of the way and can move on to the next story. Speaking of inspections, though, the entire cup field has gone through inspection this morning. They did not uh, – they uh, – 
didn't have qualifying to late yesterday, 6.30, after the Xfinity Series race. Kind of crazy. We talked about this last week with Michael Prince up that it's, I don't know, it seems almost ridiculous that the um, that the qualifying is so late here on Saturday. Obviously, TV has a lot to do with that, but I, uh, I wish it would kind of go back to early Saturday or even Friday. But I know also NASCAR are trying to kind of uh, truncate the schedules of their cup weekends. But uh, so the cup cars didn't qualify till late late yesterday with Chase Elliott winning the pull, but the cars did not go through full inspection till this morning. So the lineup that was set yesterday was kind of unofficial until this morning's inspection process. Luckily, everybody got through. Nobody had their time disallowed and has to go to the tail of the field. The only car that is going to uh, drop through is uh, the 12 of Ryan Blaney, not because of failing an inspection, but uh, in, uh, the, he's just going back for what will be uh, an, an unapproved adjustment. And i uh, got to give credit to Zach Albert from NASCAR.com on Twitter for this. But uh, the top, uh, the 12 will drop to the rear of the field. They went through the inspection, but during the inspection process, apparently, um, the uh, Penske Racing Team found something wrong with the 12 car. They fixed it, went back through tech, passed again. But again, just because of that unapproved adjustment, the 12 of uh, Ryan Blaney uh, will go to the rear of the field today for the Go Bowling uh, at the Glen here at Watkins Glen for the Monster Energy Cup Series. Blaney had a pretty good run yesterday in the Xfinity Series, coming home in fourth, uh, even led 13 laps yesterday, was in the hunt, but uh, didn't work out for him uh, to get the win. But uh, he will uh, drop to the rear of the field. He had qualified 19th mid-pack, so really it's not going to be uh, a huge, uh, it won't impede him too much today with uh, the, the race strategy. Of course, one of the interesting things here at Watkins Glen is, unlike any other racetrack on the sport, these guys pit on the opposite side of the racetrack, and it forces these teams to redo their uh, pit stops. They have to do everything the exact opposite. Uh, instead of the uh, cars coming down pit road and uh, having the, the left side of the car, the, or the driver's side of the car, uh, be the... Uh, side of the car that's closest to the pit wall it's in reverse whereas you come down pit road off of turn 11 and it's the right side of the car the passenger side of the car that's closest to pit road there and uh, it so teams uh, kind of have to do their pit stops backward when it comes to changing tires and, and even uh, sometimes even the fuel and then I, I know today also um, this year NASCAR had been forcing the teams to put a uh, windshield on the passenger side of the car for, uh, for just for rules purposes and everything but that way, uh, rule is kind of way for this weekend so that passenger side window can be open so teams can uh, you know toss that water bottle or or, or or if they got to make if they got to climb in the cockpit make an adjustment or hand something to the driver that that is open then they can have that access since the right side passenger side if it was your own car uh, is closest to the pit wall so easy as for the uh, teams to uh hand something off to the driver uh, during a pit stop here today at Watkins Glen. Uh, that is a, a change uh, for teams today that they, they're used to it, though, by now. Obviously, the series has been coming here long enough. Teams are prepared for that. But still, always interesting uh, to see the cars, you know, kind of have to do things a little bit backwards on pit row when they come here to Watkins Glen International. Luckily, one thing they don't have to worry about is the as strict uh, uncontrolled tire policy, which we've seen uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, go away. Uh, for uh, NASCAR's major series uh, before, uh, you know, it didn't take much for a, a tire to be considered, quote, uncontrolled, and you see guys have to, you know, serve a, a penalty for that, and uh, NASCAR is kind of, is loosened up on that policy, and now it's, you, it really, the tire, instead of maybe just 
falling out of arm's reach of that guy that kind of sits on the other side of the wall, you know, that doesn't go too, maybe does just barely comes out of the pit box or is right on the edge of the pit box. Uh, before that was a penalty for most of this season, uh, after listening to some complaints from drivers and teams here through the first two-thirds of the season, uh, NASCAR now has kind of let that go a little bit. Now um, it's not as so strict as an arm's length. Obviously, if you do have a tire that gets knocked into the middle of pit road or into the infield, you're going to serve that penalty. But now maybe if it gets just a little out of reach of that crew guy and he could still uh, get it back over the wall, it won't be called an uncontrolled tire. So that should cut down on some of the pit road violations it did certainly last week at Pocono. Uh, there was a couple teams that kind of benefited. Had the uh, previous rule been in been uh, observed last week at Pocono, they would have had a penalty, but instead uh, it was not a penalty because uh, of NASCAR kind of rolling back that rule, so to speak. And uh, I'm sure teams are very fortunate for that today. Again, with just kind of everything being backwards just a little bit, um, That that's one less thing they got to worry about with uh, going through pit stops today. Uh, here at the Glen. 803-0551-888-550-2550. If uh, you want to join us, if you're uh, just listening out and about today or if you're on your way here to Watkins Glen or maybe hanging out here at the facility, uh, got to give a shout-out to uh, my, my buddy Don, who is listening on the QEW this morning. Don works uh, with uh, James Hinchcliffe on the IndyCar circuit and uh, usually is here at the Glen, but uh, he's uh, busy uh, with some... Uh, I don't know if it's vacation or personal or business, but he's headed up uh, up north there, uh, where the the land of Hinchcliffe up uh, up there in, in Canada. So uh, he's listening to us on the QEW this morning. So thanks for tuning in, Don. Uh, hopefully see you again real soon. Speaking of the IndyCar cir uh, circuit, they were at Mid Ohio last weekend. I know some folks from uh, West New York went and checked that out. Scott Dixon got the win over Felix Rosenquist last week, and things tighten up a little bit in the uh, IndyCar point standings as Joseph Newgarden maintained his series points lead, but it's uh, down to 16 over Alexander Rossi, who's got that new contract with Andretti Autosport. Uh, 504 to 488 is the gap from New Garden over to Rossi. Simon Pagino, uh, about almost 50 points back at New Garden and his team, uh, team Penske teammate. Dixon, second win of the year. He is uh, about 60 back of New Garden. And then uh, Will Power, Ryan Hunter Ray, round out your top six. Um, their next event is uh, in two weeks. They'll be. Uh, two weeks away for uh, the ABC Supply 500. That's at Pocono, by the way. Uh, that I was trying to tell from the logo which track that was at. It wasn't obvious, but yeah, they'll be at Pocono, and then the week after that, they go to Gateway uh, for the last two uh, oval races of the year for the IndyCar circuit, and then uh, after that, they'll wrap up their season with uh, the two West Coast road course races at Portland, which, of course, replaced Watkins Glen's Labor Day weekend date, and then wrap up at Laguna Seca, uh, which, again, is new this year to wrap up. Instead of Sonoma, they're wrapping up the season at Laguna Seca this year. So two ovals and then two road courses left uh, for the uh, IndyCar circuit here with four races to go. Well, I saw some uh, saw some news this week, potentially, that NASCAR might be in – or not NASCAR, IndyCar, excuse me, might be in talks with uh, coming back to the Richmond Raceway, which uh, should be interesting. And uh, that may even potentially uh, replace Pocono on the schedule uh, if that were to shake out with – Hope we'll see if we get some news on that next week, uh, in two weeks, excuse me, when IndyCar uh, goes back to Pocono. Uh, speaking of Richmond and series adding or removing tracks from the schedule, uh, 
the NASCAR Modified Tour, uh, of course, has uh, made some announcements concerning their 2020 schedule. We know already that uh, the Modifies will return to Martinsville next year, uh, in along with uh, the Cup Series weekend there at Martinsville. That's going to be cool, especially with the lights down there at the paperclip. And then last week, I forgot to mention this last week, it was announced. I was going to ask Michael Prince about this when I was kind of talking to him. Uh, we were talking about the industry trend uh, of short track and grassroots racing events kind of being more and more worked into the marketing of major NASCAR Cup event weekends where they, they try and tie into the short track program or there more tracks are, you know, like building little dirt tracks and stuff at their facilities. Even, you know, Michael Printup said they want to put a, a, a dirt track in the boot someday. So the Modifieds are going to Iowa Speedway in 2020. And uh, I believe they're going to be the companion with the uh, Xfinity Series next year. Uh, I think it's uh, the end of July next year, uh, um, end of July, first week of August. Um, the Modifieds will be in Iowa for the first time ever, and that is uh, that's just uh, just under a mile. So that's going to be, uh, besides uh, Loud, New Hampshire, one of the biggest tracks the Modifieds run on. So that was an eye-opening announcement for a couple of reasons. A, just to to see. Um, them being added to a new track, but more importantly, the distance teams are going to have to travel uh, to run that event next year at Iowa. You look at the NASCAR modified roster, that is a Northeast region-based series. Um, they've tried to fold in some of the Southern modified teams when they f they folded the NASCAR modified tour and kind of combined that with uh, the, the main NASCAR modified tour up in New England. I mean, they add adding tracks like South Boston or Myrtle Beach there to start the season. Try and get some of those Southern teams, you know, like the Burt Myers uh, of the world down there down south. It hasn't. I don't think it's worked out as quite as well as they hope. Burt Burt's run some events with the NASCAR Modified, but uh, nobody else really from down south has has been making the treks up north. Uh, of course, the Modifieds lost Bristol this year. They won't be going to Bristol this year after running the last five or six years at Bristol Motor Speedway. But now. All of those teams based on the eastern seaboard and, and more importantly, the northeast, uh, they got to drive to Iowa next year with their hullers. And that is at least, uh, depending on where they're located, 16 to 20-hour to drive, uh, 16 to 18-hour drive for some of those modified teams to haul all the way to Iowa um, for that race next year. So we'll see how that goes because... Um, I don't think you're going to find any <laughs> Midwest modified teams unless uh, some teams, uh, I don't know if they're in Michigan, uh, you know, they run some modifieds, but they're much different than the tour modifieds. Uh, you know, I, you're unfortunately, a lot of these teams are going to have to drive 16-plus hours to get to this race at Iowa. So I think it'll still have a decent turnout because people will just be excited to go to a new track and uh, be featured on a, uh, a major NASCAR National Series weekend, too. So definitely the first year will probably be a big hit. We'll see uh, how long that lasts last though with uh, teams trying to make that travel i know a lot of drivers though are very excited to be part of that and run on a big fast track like iowa but uh it's it's uh, impressive that uh it's it, i'm interested to see where the future of the nascar modified tour is if it becomes like a, a k&n series um where it instead of running at short tracks you know the old k&n e series or k&n e series used to be the old bush north series where they had their home in the Northeast, ran all the short tracks. You know, they even came to Holland and Lake Erie. Um, but then it became the KNNE series, and it's taken more. It's got a larger footprint now. They run all over the East Coast. Uh, they do a lot of run a lot of race weekends in conjunction with the Cup trucks in Xfinity series. And now, if one of the modifieds are going to start to become like that, where NASCAR tries to expand their footprint footprint of races, you know, do are they going to get added to more 
uh, Cup and Xfinity and Truck Weekends. Will they come back here to Watkins Glen and be a, a support division uh, for for this weekend? Maybe sometime down the future, or maybe uh, you know, maybe they they split the Xfinity and Cup into separate weekends here at the Glen. I, I don't see that happening. But that's, I'm just kind of trying to come up with. Uh, scenarios in my mind here right now, but it'd be interesting to see what the future of the NASCAR Modified Tour is, um, because I, I don't think they're going to be not racing at Stafford or Thompson anytime soon, but maybe some of those other short tracks up there in the Northeast, you know, will they get away from some more of those, and will they continue to branch out and uh, expand further west and further south, potentially? We'll see how that goes. I think a big part of that question, too, is we're still fully learning about what's the future of the K&N and ARCA series because NASCAR bought ARCA, of course, a couple of years ago and 2020's start of that all being under one roof and uh, the, the plans have kind of been put out there. I don't know it off the top of my head, but uh, how they're going to run the uh, combined kind of ARCA and K&N next year. Uh, they'll still be an ARCA series. They already, uh, they still have an ARCA series for 2020, but how that kind of all shifts out and for all the different championships and everything. So I wonder how the modifieds play into that as well too. Uh, as we said, the NASCAR Modifieds were at Stafford on Friday night. Uh, Ronnie Silk got the win. Kind of a crazy finish. Uh, just happened as I was talking to Dave Moody. We met, uh, mentioned talking to uh, Jan Leedy. I was just a big name dropper during that interview, by the way. I realized that. Um, but the race was 150 laps. It went green from 1 to 147. They had two cautions to set up uh, two attempts at a green-white checkered. And Doug Kobe had dominated the race and then lost the lead uh, due to some pit stops. And uh, Ronnie Silk, uh, with a three-wide pass, uh, took the lead and got the win there Friday night at the Stafford Speedway. Um, that'll probably be replayed on NBC Sports. And if you can catch, I don't know if the replay's on Fans' Choice yet because they broadcast all those races live on fanschoice.tv. Uh, if the replay's up there, you got to check it out. It was a pretty exciting finish. Just happened to see on Twitter while I was at Ransomville Friday night that they were going to a green-white checker. So uh, I turned it on up there in the tower and uh, happened to watch it. And that was definitely uh, quite the three-wide finish, uh, three-wide move by Ronnie Silk to uh, take the win there. It was a good battle with um, uh, Justin Bonsignor and uh, the uh, bowler number three car, uh, Matt Swanson, uh, battling for the win there uh, at Stafford on Friday after Doug Kobe had kind of dominated that race with that long green flag run. Uh, Patrick Emerling did finish 10th, and the Catalano family uh, all ran that race. Uh, of course, Tommy and Timmy Catalano have been following the NASCAR Modified Tour uh, full-time this year on top of running uh, with the Race of Champions Series and over at the Spencer Speedway and everything. Um, but... The Amy Catalano got to make the start with her boys there uh, on Friday night at Thompson, which was a great thing for her. Uh, she's always wanted to go NASCAR modified racing, but as her kids have grown up and all gotten into racing, the, they've put more focus on them. But uh, that was a neat thing for the Catalano family to race all together, which they do all the time, you know, of course, here in, in Western New York with the Race of Champions Series and at Spencer and Lancaster and everywhere. But for them to do it with the NASCAR modifieds, too, is still was still a pretty neat thing. So that was fun. Uh, for the Catalanos. I'm sure uh, they will be uh, up at the Spencer Speedway this Friday night. Of course, uh, Spencer's got a uh, regular show coming up this Friday with uh, the Race of Champions Sportsmen, so I'm sure the uh, Catalano clan will be there in attendance on Friday uh, at Spencer, and we'll probably see them at Lancaster, too, for the Tommy Tony 110 coming up in a couple of weeks there uh, with the Race of Champions Modified Series. Speaking of local racing, we're going to get to the local racing roundup here in just a couple of minutes as we wrap up uh, live here from Watkins Glen International for today's race. 
uh, 803-0551-888-552-550. If you're not coming out here to the Glen, again, you can catch the race live here on WGR Sports Radio 550. Uh, Motor Racing Network will pick up things at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Green flag just after 3 o'clock today. Defending race winner Chase Elliott on the pole. William Byron will join him in row one. Cool announcement this week from Hendrick Motorsports and the 24 team of William Byron. Of course, uh, we've got Labor Day weekend. Darlington coming up with the Southern 500 and the uh, throwback theme that we've seen at Darlington now for the past three, four years with everybody running old school paint schemes. And the 24 team will actually be running a Cole Trickle uh, City Chevrolet paint scheme uh, with the 24, but the the neon green and black that uh, that that fade coloring with the City Chevrolet logo on the hood that is going to be their throwback paint scheme uh, at the Southern 500 this year, and it almost kind of brings the the thing full circle with Days of Thunder and Hendrick Motorsports because it was Hendrick that kind of put some of those cars together that they actually they raced the the cars that you see in the movie they were in actual NASCAR races uh, to to help the the filmmakers get footage so Hendrick. Uh, Rick Hendrick and the Hendrick Motorsports team, they put together some of those cars, especially that 46 car. And when Jeff Gordon got his start, he was going to be number 46. And it was going to be the same thing as, as Cole Trickle's 46. So picture the, the original DuPont Rainbow Warrior paint scheme with a 46 on it. That was going to be uh, Jeff Gordon. Uh, it's kind of a true, but because of the movie, NASCAR would not allow Hendrick to run the 46 with the DuPont car. Um, so... That's why he wound up with the number 24. The Hendrick Motorsports team did get a 46 uh, car out there, eventually a Buddy Baker with DuPont. Um, so it kind of comes full circle with William Byron uh, running the, the 24 car uh, with the Days of Thunder paint scheme at the Southern 500. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we come back. We're going to get a qu quick couple of minutes here with Nate Ryan uh, before we wrap up here things from Walkland's Gun. We'll be right back here on WGR. Wrapping up here from Watkins Glen International and so happy to be joined in person by one of my favorite guests to get on, Nate Ryan from NBC Sports and the NASCAR and NBC Podcast. Nate, I always say it's race day mornings are very busy for you guys in the media. Thank you for stopping by here. Oh, absolutely. It's great to meet you in person, Dave, and great to be here. It's always a pleasure being on your show. Yeah, what a what a great day here at Watkins Glen, and I've kind of been saying this now a lot this morning, but I guess expect the unexpected today here at the Glen. Yeah, you know, qualifying was certainly a little bit unexpected. Uh, the voice we just heard, Joey Logano, didn't have the best <laughs> qualifying laps, and neither did Kevin Harvick. Yeah. And uh, there were some some surprises there. I think in the in the the the, the final group. I mean, Jimmy Johnson with the new crew chief, Cliff Daniels. I think now he is in a really good spot where he can play for stage one points mm -hmm. and probably won't be going for the win, but to qualify in that top ten is really good for him. What do you make of that that move here late? Is that just was it just not working between Mendering and Jimmy Johnson, or is this just I guess, yeah? It's not a great term, but throw something at the wall here just late in the season <laughs> to try and get that team going. It's not the great way to no. describe it. I don't know else to no, what I, the phrase I, to use there. I think it's hard to articulate the reasons for it, David. It's hard to sort of analyze because it's a very curiously timed move. And uh, we pressed Jimmy on it a little bit before qualifying yesterday. Mm. Bob Pockers and I were trying to get him to say, "Hey, was this your decision?" Yeah, and Jimmy clearly had input into this decision mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to he's it's weird how he approaches things he's very he's a very good person and i think he was a little bit uncomfortable about having to to step forward to hendrick motorsports management and say yeah. i like kevin mendering but it's not working and yeah. you know when cliff daniels joined the team at sonoma as an engineer uh, as he said it, the, the team just moved with greater alacrity. They've just been better at like making decisions quickly 
And uh, so they made that move. And Jimmy was telling us yesterday, I mean, Kevin Mendering didn't know about it. And mm. so that had to be awkward. And yeah. uh, I'm sure it was a difficult week for Jimmy. But as we said, in qualifying yesterday, it didn't seem to affect him. Do you think he gets into the playoffs with your five races to go? Whether, I think whether on a win or on points. Today's a big step. I, I you know, He's never won at this track. Yep. And uh, the next two tracks are not great for him. One win at Michigan and two wins at Bristol. So if he can get through this three-race stretch with, say, three top 15s, mm-hmm. top, even three top 10s, uh, he comes out of here with 30 or 40 points. I think he's in really good shape. I, and, of course, you know, Someone like Matt DiBenedetto could win today and really put a hurt on him, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and that's what Eric Almarola said yesterday in the media center. I mean, he's 90 points above the cut line, yeah. and he said exactly that, Dave, that uh, I don't feel safe at all. I don't feel comfortable because you never know who could, could win. from. I mean, Stenhouse was decent in qualifying yeah. yesterday. <laughs> I mean, God knows. Anybody, um, this is always an X factor like Daytona and Talladega. It's going to be a fun race. Uh, I last year, I mean, right from the get go, last year in this race, they were you know really going at it, Kyle and Chase, and I, I think we're going to get maybe a three horse race today, and I think it's going to be Chase, Martin, and Kyle kind of going at it, and uh, I don't think they're going to take it on, eat, take it easy on each other out there today. No, I, I I love that about road course racing, Dave, is that you can really look at. There, there's a half dozen guys who can probably win here. I yep. mean, Truex, Hamlin, Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott. Uh, you know, maybe Logano again, but again, he's, his qualifying was poor. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I think last year's race was terrific in that regard, mm. much like the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. Even though, like, you can pretty much discount uh, 20 guys or 30 guys from winning, yeah. when you're just focused on four or five guys who have a chance at winning, I think it makes the race more entertaining. We saw that here last year. We don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to get right into something else I want to talk to you about, the, the NASCAR and NBC podcast. And uh, I don't think we'll ever get a 30 for 30 on J-Ski. But if we <laughs> no, did, it, it would sound like your podcast. You did a great uh, in-depth uh, review of, of the history of J-Ski. Thanks, Dave. I worked uh, a long time on that. <laughs> and uh, that's why there's been a delay. It took me a month. Uh, I haven't had an episode in a while. But uh, I was happy with how it turned out. And I appreciate that. Yeah, and unfortunately, due to his connections with ESPN, <laughs> probably won't see a 30 for 30. But I think it's worthy of a 30 for 30. It's a crazy, amazing story. Um, and uh, I was glad I got to tell it. Yeah, growing up... Uh, the, the early days of the internet that was the place uh, was the paint like that's how I remember learning Bill Elliott was going to drive or Bill <laughs> Elliott's new McDonald's I was yeah. a huge Bill Elliott fan I'm like he's got a new McDonald's paint scheme but that's how I learned about it going to J-Ski and uh, I always the team charts that was the place to go if you wanted to know what the new teams were because mm-hmm. like, like I grew up in the early 90s you'd, you'd turn on Daytona you just learn the new d- drivers and teams just by turning on the Daytona 500 in February I, I didn't I was still young enough. I didn't uh, maybe wasn't aware of some of the other programs, say like on a TNN. So I would just watch Daytona just to see who was in what car. And then now, of course, now we know six months in advance. We know what's good, the next year is going to look like. But J-Ski was kind of that bridge in between where yeah. you were learning who was going where in January just by going to that website. And as we discussed on the podcast, I mean, social media totally changed the game and unfortunately diminished J-Ski's impact to a great regard. But I'm with you. I started following NASCAR in 1996 which was the year Jayski started, mm. and he was the go-to to resource for me and really everybody out there in that cup garage. I mean, there was a 10-year period from 96 to 2006 where it was, you know, undisputed, the most powerful and most famous site website in NASCAR. Last thing, uh, your colleagues at NBC got to be super thrilled for today's broadcast. Just from the Xfinity, the the camera shots out of the S's through the inner loop, that is a look we've never seen here. Yeah. On, on top of the radio broadcast with – 
Bagley and Jr. and Jeff Burton. But that shot, that's that's a whole new look for this place. It's interesting. A lot of people have been talking about that, that bus stop, like that back cam shot yep. that they're using to show the car in a pretty much in a horizontal frame. Yeah. And it looks great. Uh, I, our director, Sean Owens, does a terrific job with that. I think as a person that sits on his couch every week to watch 35 out of the 36 races every year, you kind of get accustomed to seeing camera shots at tracks. And so especially here at Watkins Glen, you're just – you can picture those shots in your head just from watching so many races. And I, I admit I couldn't watch live yesterday, but just watching the highlights, and I'm like, this is like a whole different Watkins yeah. Glen almost. Yeah. <laughs> We're lucky to have some big race fans like our director uh, in in the TV compound on our production crew, and uh, they're always thinking about ways to enhance the broadcast radio style being another good example of that. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what people get to see today. So that will be coming up on TV this afternoon, uh, NASCAR America weekdays. Right, uh, 1.30 today, uh, leading into uh, the race. And then, yeah, weekdays, 5 p.m. Eastern, we have NASCAR America. And the NASCAR and NBC podcast, you got to check that out. Um, I'm more of a wrestling podcast guy, but yours is one <laughs> I do not miss. But uh, I have way too many pro wrestling podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> Nate, thank you so much for squeezing us in this morning. Great to talk to you in person. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. It's good to meet you as well. That'll do it for us. Unfortunately, couldn't get to the local racing roundup, but got to give a shout-out to uh, Patrick Emerling picking up the win last night in the Race of Champions Modified Series event last night at the Shemung Speedrome, the Rod Spalding Classic. Tomorrow night, Merrittville Speedway, the Super Dirt Car Series will be up there tomorrow night at Merrittville Speedway in Thorold, Ontario. And then Tuesday night, Ransonville Speedway, the 35th annual Summer Nationals for the Super Dirt Car Big Block Modifieds. You can come see NASCAR Truck Series winner Stuart Friesen in person, in action, along with Matt Shepard, Matt Williamson, Eric Rudolph, Billy Decker. I mean, we've had amazing modified racing all year at Ransonville between just Eric and Matt and Ryan Susie and Pete Bicknell and Chad Brockman already. Add in the Stars and Cars, the Super Dirt Car Series. It's going to be a great show. I'm so excited for Tuesday at Ranceville Speedway. So big thank you to Tom Maddy and the engineers at Intercom Buffalo for making this happen today. Enjoy the race, everybody. Be sure to tweet me during the race at Fast Track 550. We'll talk to you next Sunday here on WGR. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.